What is the most terrible loss of life of the 20th century? How do you measure that? Lives lost, their circumstances of their deaths, the reasons why they were killed. When I was a kid in history class, we were taught about the Holocaust and you know, the Jewish genocide during World War II. The number most often given out in the United States is 6 million Jewish people were killed by the Nazis. The Holocaust became synonymous with the word genocide to me. In another class that year, we read the diary of Anne Frank, which really gave the Holocaust a very relatable feeling to us. Sitting in that classroom reading her diary, I remember wondering why the Nazis did that. Why would any government intentionally and systematically hunt down and eradicate a whole group of people, especially if those people were their own countrymen? It wasn't until later in life, through my own research outside of public education, that I realized that the Holocaust was not the only genocide. And that's what I wanted to talk about today, all of the other genocides that happened in the last hundred years that most people probably don't know about. I was trying to think of a topic for the first episode of the historical series of podcasts, and I thought this would be a nice, light topic for an icebreaker. Now, as far as how I was going to talk about the other genocides of the 20th century, I wasn't sure if I should start listing them out or just talk for a while about the major ones and talk just briefly about the quote-unquote smaller ones. And then I realized that if some of the smaller genocides still contain hundreds of thousands, if not millions of deaths, how do you just gloss over millions of deaths? The communist dictator Joseph Stalin allegedly said, The death of one man is a tragedy. The death of millions, a statistic. And that's how these genocides start to become once you start listing them all out and ranking them by the total number of deaths. They just become numbers on a page. The individual suffering and turmoil gets drowned out by the millions of others. That's one of the things that a book like Anne Frank's Diary helps with. Another thing I wasn't sure about is how to categorize all the genocides. Webster defines genocide as the deliberate and systematic destruction of a racial, political, or cultural group. The United Nations definition is a lot longer and goes, quote, any of the following acts committed with the intent to destroy and whole or impart a national, ethnical, racial, or religious group, such as killing members of the group, causing serious bodily or mentally harm to the members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction and whole or impart, one, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group, and two, forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. Both definitions have the same thing in common. In order for something to fit the definition of genocide, it has to be intentional. Now, I have a problem with that definition because if someone, like a nation or a group of powerful elites, create a situation where a lot of people die, but they didn't mean for the people to die, shouldn't it still be a genocide? Say if there are two boats on the ocean, and one boat goes to the other boat, and because they're more powerful, they're able to take the other boat's gasoline and food and then leave. Now, the bad boat didn't do that because they wanted everyone on the other boat to be stranded and starved to death. They did it simply because they wanted their stuff, and the suffering inflicted on the other people didn't matter to them. Now, take this example and expand it out to a much larger scale, and if the group of people that end up starving to death is in the millions, then is that not a genocide? So to me, genocides seem to fit into two different main categories. One where the genocide of the people is intentional, and one where the deaths are unintentional and they're probably unimportant to the people that cause the deaths.
An obvious example of a purposeful genocide is, of course, the Holocaust. And an example of an unintentional genocide, I would say, is called the Bengal Famine. Now, the, the Bengal Famine is like the Holocaust. It took place during World War II, uh, specifically in 1943. Now, like most of the examples I will give today, there is debate about certain facts and details, so take the specifics I give with a grain of salt. The Bengal Famine happened mostly in the British-controlled Bengal India region. Some say it was caused by bad harvests, and others blame British mismanagement and wartime pressures. But like most things, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Either way, the famine was not fully recognized by the British government at the time, and therefore effective measures to stop the famine were not put in place. Supposedly one time, Churchill actually blamed the famine on the Indians' high birth rates, um, blaming them, saying that they, uh, quote-unquote, breed like rabbits. The exact numbers of dead, like most of the genocides we'll talk about today, are contested and debatable. Nevertheless, it is estimated that around 2 to 3 million Indians died of starvation and malnutrition-related diseases. Dr. Shashi Tharoor, a former UN undersecretary, is very outspoken about his dislike of Winston Churchill, saying that Churchill, quote, has as much blood on his hands as Hitler does, unquote. He goes on to say, quote, particularly the decisions that he personally signed off during the Bengal famine when 4.3 million people died because of the decisions that he took or endorsed. Not only did the British pursue its own policy of not helping the victims of this famine, which was created by their policies, Churchill persisted in exporting grain to Europe, not to feed actual sturdy Tommies, to use his phrase, but add to the buffer stocks which were piling up in the event of a future Greek or Yugoslavian invasion. Continuing with his quote, Ships laden with wheat were coming in from Australia, docking in Calcutta, and were instructed by Churchill not to disembark their cargo, but to sail on to Europe. And when conscience-stricken British officials wrote to the Prime Minister in London, pointing out that his policies were causing needless loss of life, all he could do was write peevishly in the margin of the report, quote, why hasn't Gandhi died yet, unquote. So we can see here, that the 4.3 million figure given by Dr. Thoreau is probably on the high end of the death toll estimates. Uh, So the the Bengal famine might not technically fit into the genocide definition because the deaths were not intentional by the British government, but that's not much reconciliation if you're one of those possible 4 million dead. World War II was not the only world war to see its share of genocides, though. Probably the most controversial of genocides during any world war is the Armenian Genocide. Again, some of the actual facts and circumstances are debated, but this does fit the UN's genocide definition. Around 1915, the Ottoman Empire put in place a policy to expel its Armenian minority. As Christians in a predominantly Muslim country, a strong amount of resentment and division had already been building ever since Armenia was conquered by the Ottomans. As World War I broke out, the Armenians were now at war with their neighboring allied countries, such as Russia, which were Christians. Many Armenians felt as if they were on the wrong side of the war, and some even helped the Russians, which caused the Ottoman government to become even more wary of the Armenians. The date given for the start of the Armenian Genocide is April 24, 1915, which is the day that the Ottoman government arrested and executed several hundred Armenian intellectuals and leaders. The Ottomans had put together special death squads for such killings, something similar to how the Nazis created the Einsatzgruppen. 
troops created especially for rounding up and killing civilians. These Turkish death squads were made up of convicted criminals and were sometimes called butcher battalions. These butcher battalions were given orders for the liquidation of the Christian elements, unquote. During these massacres, you see everything from rapes and shootings all the way to crucifying people on crosses or even burning them alive. Armenian children were sometimes given away to Turkish families and were forced to convert to Islam. Muslim Turkish families were allowed to move into the now vacant Armenian homes and pretty much take anything that was left behind. The death toll is estimated to be between 600,000 and 1.5 million people. Coming from a population in the millions, by the 1920s there were only around 350,000 Armenians left alive in the former Ottoman Empire. The genocide is controversial because the Turkish government to this day still denies the genocide happened, and it was only in 2010 that the U.S. Congress voted to recognize the Armenian killings officially as a genocide. This next genocide might be the least known of all the genocides that I'll talk about today, and it actually spans the 19th and the 20th centuries, but I'm still going to include it. It is called the Rubber Terror. The Rubber Terror took place in the Belgian Congo between about the mid-1880s and lasted until 1908. It's an interesting story just explaining how this was able to take place, but basically the Belgian King Leopold II was given full control over the Belgian colony in Africa. This colony was predominantly used for harvesting rubber and exotic animals. Now these rubber plantations were Belgian-ran, but the labor of course was all local Congolese people living in slave-like conditions. The deaths were from a mixture of disease, famine, and killings, but the exact numbers or percentages are not precisely known, which makes this genocide a little hard to classify. The Belgians ransacked the countryside, stealing food, burning crops, and destroying villages as it went. Sort of like how the Bengal famine happened. When the natives' people's food was taken, millions of people were left to die from starvation and malnutrition-related diseases. King Leopold destroyed any of the records about the killings before giving up control of the Congo, so the exact history is a bit fuzzy. The most interesting part of this period in world history is that nobody really talks about Belgium being a bad guy, or the Belgian king being an evil genocidal maniac. Nowadays, if you think about Belgium in the early 1900s, you probably just think about the small country in Europe that got invaded by Germany in World War II. What you probably don't think about is the upwards of 8 to 10 million people that died as a result of the Belgians exploiting Congo's natural resources. Now, as far as death tolls go, you can't really find much higher numbers than the ones attributed to various communist regimes around the world. One particular communist genocide that really stands out to me as being underrecognized is the Cambodian genocide. The communist dictator Pol Pot wanted to recreate Cambodian society and make it more agrarian, so the government rounded up people for relocation and extermination from the years of 1975 to 1979. The Cambodian genocide is fairly unique because Pol Pot's regime was a lot more systematic in its killings, burying most of the victims in mass graves. These mass graves are known as Cambodian killing fields, and close to 24,000 mass graves have been found in Cambodia. The death toll of Pol Pot's regime is estimated to be as high as 3 million, but closer to 2 million is more widely accepted. That might not sound like a very high number, but that is 25% of Cambodia's total population dead. Just think about that for a second. 25% of all Cambodians died in just one genocide. 
that is just staggering to me that people can be convinced to kill such a high percentage of their own citizens. The next one I'm going to talk about is another one of those that blurs the line with the technical definition of genocide. Now I'll go ahead and say that this is one of the murkier ones. The numbers vary widely as the country was behind the Soviet Iron Curtain. Like the Bengal famine, this was a genocide based on the acquisition of food from a targeted group of people, in this case, Ukrainians. Like the Bengal famine, this was a genocide based on the acquisition of food from a targeted group of people, in this case, Ukrainians. It is called the Holodomor, which translates from Ukrainian to English something like the hunger death or the death from hunger. It took place mostly in the early 1930s when Ukraine was inside the Soviet Union. Ukraine was known as the breadbasket of the Soviet Union as it had plenty of flat, open terrain, and they produced a lot of grains like wheat. Ukraine became one of the republics of the USSR in 1922, and in 1924, Joseph Stalin seized power of the Soviet Union after Lenin's death. Now, around this time, Ukrainian farmers and landholders were relatively free. They worked the land that they owned, and some of the more powerful farmers even hired laborers to work for them. This, of course, is not very communist, so in 1928, Stalin introduced a program to change the Ukrainian farming structure. The government moved in, seized all the land and farming equipment, you know, because private ownership is abolished under communism, and they started a system of agricultural collectivization. With control of the Ukrainian farms, Saul could do with the grain as he wished, which mostly meant exporting it outside of Ukraine. Now, the Ukrainians viewed this collectivization of their farms as a return to the serfdom that they had endured for so long, and the people became resistant to working on these factory-like farms. When Stalin found out about this resistance, he decided to give the land back to the farm owners. Just kidding, he sent in the military and started executing people. Stalin referred to this as class warfare, and millions fell victim. The communist forces he sent into Ukraine confiscated what little land and property the Ukrainian farmers had left, and about half of a million Ukrainians were packed onto trains and sent into harsh Siberia, where they were left without food or shelter to die. Around 1932, Stalin stepped up the class warfare even further and started taking even more of the Ukrainian wheat out of Ukraine, not even leaving enough to feed the Ukrainians that were farming the land. If a farm worker was caught stealing the wheat that they had harvested, the punishment was often death. The Soviets sent in young communist activists from the big cities in Russia to Ukraine to confiscate any food found in Ukrainian homes and villages. By June of 1933, about 30,000 people were dying per day, many of them children, under 10. And this continued until 1934, when the death toll reached around 4 million from starvation. This 4 million does not count executions or deportations. Now, the Soviet Union denied the famine existed and attributed any reports of death to disease or malnutrition. In 1933, the United States President Roosevelt, FDR, formally recognized the USSR government and started negotiating trade deals. The USSR was even allowed into the League of Nations in 1943. In 1985, the United States set up an assembly to study the Holodomor. It was called the U.S. Commission on the Ukrainian Famine, and their findings were delivered to Congress in 1988. This investigation proved a few things to the U.S. government, including the facts that the numbers of victims were in the millions, and that the famine was man-made. 
With the fall of the USSR in the 1990s, the old Soviet archives were found and released that yielded much evidence of the Holodomor. In 2006, the Ukrainian parliament officially recognized the Holodomor as a genocide. However, the Russian government to this day still denies it. It was difficult for researchers to put an exact number on the death toll because of a variety of factors, but estimates vary anywhere from 4 million all the way up to 10 million. Genocides are one of those topics that's very hard to bring up in public or chatting with people. Hang out with friends, you might get accused of being a downer if you start bringing up the, the millions of man-made deaths around the world. Yet these are very important to talk about today. I could have made this podcast a lot longer because I skipped quite a few famines and genocides that happened in just the last few decades. If this is well received, I'll create a part two and talk about what happened in North Korea in the 1990s or the Chinese death toll during the Great Leap Forward. Episode 2 of the History Podcast series is definitely going to be more controversial than this one even. But history is often filled with disagreement, and that's one of the reasons why it should be talked about even more. A big thanks to our patrons that make this possible. I know everyone says that, but without our patrons, you wouldn't be listening to us right now. Our Patreon account is patreon.com slash you can't support us financially, I understand. Please just uh, subscribe and share this with your friends and family. Take care.